thank you. Okay, we're going to be in uh, Proverbs. We'll continue this here for the next couple of weeks as we wrap up summertime, um, as we wrap up our look at the, the book of, of Proverbs. So that's what will be Proverbs 27 today. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it on the screen. If you do and you're not familiar, just let it fall open, probably somewhere in the middle. Take a right, and you're going to hit Proverbs right after the book of Psalms, okay? Um, so that's where we're going to be today. So uh, there, there are times, we're going to start out with a little bit, a little test this morning. There are times we read scripture, and when we're reading a, a verse, or maybe we hear somebody read a verse, or somebody speak about a particular verse, we're just excited, man. Like, that verse is great, and we're, we want to stand up and say, yes, amen, heck yes, amen, you know, kind of a thing, and just totally agree, shout our agreement with any particular verse. Um, there are some of those verses that are here in this text today. So we're going to do a little bit of a, of a test and see who, who uh, fails the first test of being a fool this morning, okay? So I'm going to read some scriptures, and after I read the scripture from, from Proverbs 27, I want you to, if you're ready to shout amen, shout amen, all right? So Proverbs 27, 14 says, He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. I say amen to that. I'm not a morning person. If you want to call me at midnight, we will have a party. But the person who yells at me in the morning, hey, how's it going? You got your coffee out of that? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'd like to hurt you right now, okay? <laughs> so I say amen to that verse, okay? Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Amen, guys? Amen. Have you ever been in that relationship with somebody? And man, they come alongside you and they encourage you and they speak life into you. Proverbs 27, 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Amen. We have sweet counsel from a friend, right? Um, where, where you are in pain or hurting or you don't know which way to go, and some friend is just like the healing balm of the Lord, you know, in your life. Verses 15 and 16. A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind and grasps at oil with his right hand. <laughs> Single men and guys who just don't care anymore said amen to that verse. Okay? <laughs> Everybody else is like, no, I'm happy, happily married, and I would like to say it that way. <laughs> we read verses... And we see parts of scripture where we are all in, you know, we are all behind it. It makes us feel good. It might encourage us or reminds us of something. There are other parts of scripture that are hard, you know, really difficult. Um, and, and it's hard to say amen to those things, but it's no less God's truth, is it? It's no less supposed to be not just instruction for life, but some revelation of God's character to us. He's telling us something about himself. And so all of God's testimony of himself is sweet, right? God's not asking for your opinion about how you feel about what he says, right? Like he didn't wake up today and go, oh, I really hope they like what I said today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He, he's not waiting to jump for joy and clap his hands when you agree with him, right? He's not waiting to ask your opinion about that. Here's what he's doing in the book of Proverbs. He's exposing our foolishness to us. He wants to root it out of us so that we can be remade into the image of Jesus, who, by the way, is Solomon's wisdom. Like in the Old Testament, you think about Solomon. He's the, he's the wisest person who ever lived, according to Scripture. Jesus is the wisdom of Solomon. And he wants to give us that wisdom and remake us and reshape us in the image of Christ, the actual wisdom of God. He wants to give that to us. So as we look through this today, and maybe you run across a verse or two that prick you, that tweak you, that you know, pinch you in the wrong place. Don't not thank God for it. Thank God for that. There's grace there. There's grace of the Lord that he comes along you and he says, hey, pay attention. Like my dad had a ring and he'd flip it upside down in the church. He'd, go, he'd pop you on the back of the head. I don't know if it was grace, but it was, dude, pay attention, right? Sit up straight, listen to what's being said right now. And every now and then in the Psalms and Proverbs, you're going to get that. God's going to pop you on the back of the head and say, hey, are you paying attention right now? Okay, so as we do this today, let's just thank the Lord for what he's got to say before we even get started. So as we go through Proverbs, it defines for us what a fool is. Proverbs is very clear about what a foolish person looks like. So as we go through it, if I say that word, fool, right, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Probably somebody else, <laughs> right? 
more than likely, when you think about the definition of a fool, you automatically have somebody else's brain, or face that pops into your brain. Well, they're foolish, right? It's somebody else for the most part. Most of us don't consider ourselves foolish, and if we're willing to give God, okay, maybe sometimes I'm foolish. We're not very high on God's foolometer. If there's a foolometer somewhere, I don't rank very high on that. If it's a one to a ten, I'm a one and a half. My bad days, I'm a three, God, right? We don't rank very high on what a fool might be in most of our minds. And we think this is so Old Testament, we're like, I'm so glad God doesn't talk about this in the New Testament because it's the Old Testament, so I can basically ignore it, right? I think a lot of us have that idea. Because this is somehow in the Old Testament, I don't really have to pay attention to it. Well, then you get into Ephesians chapter 5, and Paul, he kind of puts his slant on what it means to be a fool. And he says this, he says, look carefully when you walk, which is basically when you're living your life. Every day that you live, pay attention. Look carefully at how you walk so that you don't walk as unwise, but as wise. Now, if that word unwise makes you feel better, we'll use that the rest of the day. But you might as well say foolishly. Pay attention to how you're living your life every day so you don't live like a fool, you live like a wise person. Now, that's New Testament, guys. We can't get away from this idea, can we? We can't get away from this idea that God wants to warn me to intentionally walk in wisdom. And I think that's the good, positive spin for us to put on this, okay? Those of you who have your psychology backgrounds, we're going to come from a positive angle here. The positive spin on this is, is that God wants us to intentionally walk in wisdom, right? Not just stay away from foolishness, to walk in wisdom, and he's encouraging us. He's warning us to do that over and over and over again. He's also warning me that without intentionally walking in wisdom, I am sort of magnetically drawn to foolish living. There's just something in me that just naturally gravitates toward living foolishly, to making foolish decisions, believing foolish things. And without intentionally walking in that wisdom... I am not wise by default. You, you understand that? You're not the exception to the rule. You are not also wise by default. I have to intentionally choose that. So New Testament, what does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 5? This is verses 15 to 21. What does he say about what it means to, to live like a fool? Well, he says this. He says, you walk unwisely if you don't care about wasting your life. If you're kind of living your life, no matter how old you are, you're a follower of Christ, and you're not paying any attention to how you're living and what you're giving your life to, you're walking unwisely. You're living unwisely. That's foolish. Next thing, you don't seek to know and love and understand God. You don't make that a value and something that's important to you. you it's, it's a secondary thought to you. You live unwisely if you're not spending your life to know and understand and love God. You don't live in step with the Holy Spirit. You're unwise. We've talked about this before. Old Testament, what do they have? They have scripture. They have the teachings. They have a, a priest or a prophet, the sacrificial system. But they don't have the living God in them. That's a post-cross, post-Acts chapter 2 event. The Holy Spirit of God didn't indwell people, believers, like he does now. You have the person of God in your heart, living in you now. You are a fool if you don't get to know him better. We walk foolishly if we don't intentionally set out to live in step with the Holy Spirit, that he has ways for us to go through this life that lead us to life and to fulfillment and satisfaction and things. So New Testament also talks about this too, and we're quick to say it's somebody else, but really all these scripture verses are kind of talking about us, if not in the details, in the principles, right? So Proverbs um, talks a lot and very pointedly to those of us who are foolish um, if you don't think you fit the parameters, I'm going to just run through some of the things Proverbs says. Here's what a fool looks like if those Ephesian things didn't get you. He says, believing unfiltered praise. You are a fool if you have people in your life who are just praising you, praising you, praising you, praising you, and there's no filter on that. You're a fool, right? Nobody's that good, <laughs> okay? You're not that good, right? And there are people in our lives who just give us this unfiltered praise, and often it comes from a, from a bad place. They're not just seeking to build you up. They're seeking to build you up to get something from you. And you're a fool if you're not listening with some kind of filter in your life. 
I would also say, I think behind that is you're a fool if you overneed praise, all right? Because you're gonna just take any, anything somebody says to you, you're gonna just suck it in, man, right? So if you don't have that filter on you about uh, not, needing, not needing too much praise or listening how you're hearing praise to you, um, a fool is somebody who provokes others. You provoke other people. One of my first jobs, I worked in a Christian bookstore, Joshua's Christian Bookstore, the Dallas-Fort Worth. Any, anybody know that bookstore up there? There were about 14 or 15 of them. There were some in Southern California, too. And uh, my boss was this wildly charismatic guy. I would come in in the morning. If we opened at 10, I'd come in at 9.30. He would have vineyard praise music playing loud over the speakers, dancing in the, thing, in the store so God would bless our— I'm not making this up— dancing so God would bless our receipts that day because we were the lowest receipt income store in the chain. And so he would dance in the store so we would get more money that day. And so his name was Richard. And I would, the other guys that worked there, I would go to them and I would say, Richard would make this display. He would love book displays. He would make towering spirals of books. It would take like an hour and a half making these spirals of books and he was so proud of it and stuff. And I would go to a coworker and I would say, hey, listen, Richard asked you to move the bottom part of that book tower over there. He wants you to take the two bottom sections out. I don't know why, he just wants you to do it. And I wouldn't, I, they, and so they'd be down there taking it apart and at three in the afternoon, Richard showed, dude, I spent an hour and a half doing that. He would just ream them out and they'd be like, well, Joe said. I never did anything. Technically, I didn't do any of it. But Richard, would, he just started calling me the provoker right? Because I would just provoke guys to go mess with people and do things like that, right? Take posters and turn them upside down, just weird stuff like that that would bother nobody but me and Richard, right? You're a fool if you provoke other people. I was a foolish 19-year-old kid, man. I thought it was the funniest thing in the world, right? And I was just getting everybody, I was, I was get, bringing out the worst in everyone, right, is what I was doing at the end of the day. You're a fool if you go around provoking others. If you're ruled by jealousy, if jealousy is the thing that drives you, that motivates you, that colors everything and how you see the world around you, that's foolishness. Being prideful, ruled by, by pride. Wandering from home. We've seen that before. We're going to talk about it again. Running toward evil. Nagging and manipulating other people. Living your life by yourself. That's a recurring theme in the book of Proverbs, believe it or not, that we would go through this life and we would do it by ourselves. I'm not talking about being single. I'm talking about living life by yourself and thinking you can go through life without friends and people to speak life into you and a support network. You're a fool, unwilling to face your foolishness. You have this nagging suspicion, oh my gosh, I think that this might be about me, and you don't pay attention to it and you don't do anything about it. You're a fool. That's actually the definition of a fool. It's a person who has a suspicion that they're foolish and then they don't do anything about it. So those are the things in Proverbs, just a few, that define what it means to be a fool. Now, what do all these things have in common? My personal opinion is, is that all these things have in common is this. The fool denies God by placing himself in the position that, that only belongs to God, by making himself the only God he's interested in serving. The fool takes God out of his natural position of Lord, which is a hard way to say that, but you understand what I'm saying. We take God out of his position of rulership in my life, and I place myself there because the only person I'm really interested in serving, the only God I want to bend my knee to is me. I want my life to serve me. And the fool says, I deserve to be in that position of leadership and worship in my life. And I will displace God from there, and I will place myself in that position because I'm really the only God I'm interested in worshiping. The fool has to be, constantly wants to be at the center. They're at the center of things. And here's the other thing about fools, <laughs> us. We're okay with this. We seek this on purpose. We, we gauge our lives to live like this. We're, we're the best at being me, and I'm okay with that. I don't need any help. The fool, you're thinking right now, <laughs> that guy that's speaking is a fool. He needs help. You're thinking that guy over there needs help. You're thinking the guy that I'm sitting next to, look, get, you know, needs help. You're thinking, hey, good luck, man. Today, the pastor's going to give you some help. Help's on the way, buddy. You won't be fooled forever. 
I'm behind you, idiot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what's rolling around in your head right now. You're absolutely convinced that you are the best you that there is. You figured it out. Everybody else is the one that needs help. 1 Corinthians 1, we're not going to look at it, but it says this. It's like, what is the hope and cure for our foolishness? Again, if you think this is an Old Testament thing, the New Testament speaks all about this. What is our hope for this kind of foolishness, our cure for this kind of foolishness? We have to exchange our foolishness for God's wisdom, and that the, His wisdom looks like foolishness on the surface. We look at what God says about how to be wise, and it seems upside down. As a matter of fact, it looks foolish to us. That's what 1 Corinthians tells us. It's so foreign, it's so unexpected, it's so unknown, it looks like foolishness to us. God's solution for us looks foolish. But we have to exchange what we think is wise for God's way of being really wise and getting rid of our foolishness. So this, we want a system. We want God to come tell us. We want God to just basically come in the New Testament. We want Jesus to come and say, hey, you know the law of the Old Testament? Keep it up. You guys are doing great. Keep working really hard. There's only 680, I forget how many, commands in the Old Testament, and you guys are doing a great job. And there's a part of us that's like, yes, I can do it. Jesus said, I'm okay. I don't have to change anything. We want him to come with a system, to give us a checklist, to tell us, well, God, how can I not be foolish anymore? We want him to show us how we can do it. We want a system, and God sends a person to us. We want rules, and God sends grace. We want self-improvement, and God gives us a new heart. This is such a blow to our pride and our ego. We're so convinced that we can fix ourselves. We're so convinced that we can work our way out of foolishness. This is why when God answers this, this prayer for us, this cry for us, it's so backwards to us. It doesn't make any sense to us. It's grace. By grace, he is rescuing us fools and making us wise. We have to be wise enough to ask God to remove us from the center. God, take me out of the center. Make me humble. Make me dependent on the Holy Spirit. Make me submissive to what he's doing in my life. And God, I've got sin. This is probably, it starts with humility and confession. God, I've got this sin in my life, and I've got to call it what it is. It's not a mistake. It's not my mom and dad didn't do something for me. I am now choosing to act like this. I am a sinner. I am so far from you. I'm trusting in me. I have foolishly believed I can make me better. God, break me of that. Forgive me of that. I need grace. Give me grace. That's really the beginning part is to start with that kind of confession. So we have to, this morning, here's what I want to encourage you with. I want, you, I want to encourage all of us just to take a step toward wisdom. Remember the movie, What About Bob? Baby Steps right? Baby steps. Just take a step. One little step. Can we just take a step toward wisdom today? So I'm not asking you to walk out of here. I said it a couple weeks ago. I don't want us to all walk out of here looking like Gandalf at the end of the day, you know? Like this old man with a big beard and we can just dispense wisdom, you know, like a candy machine. I'm not looking for that, but can you just walk out a little bit wiser? Is that something you can even begin to pray about this morning? God, can I? Could I leave this room a little bit wiser today? Can I take one step toward wisdom this morning? That's really what I want to encourage you with today and challenge you with today. Just take a step toward wisdom. So we'll kind of talk about that this morning as we go through. So, so Proverbs 27, verse 1, he starts here. He says, Don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day may bring forth. Don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what a day may be forth. So take a step toward wisdom. And here's the first step. How are you using today? How are you using your day today? There is this pervasive ethic in Scripture. If you read throughout all of Scripture, there's this pervasive idea and ethic in Scripture that God is telling us, He's intending us, encouraging us to live for today. Now, not in a negative sense, but in the most positive way possible. That we are to live for today, to live for now, to be present where we're at right now. I find this to be exceptionally hard. Does anybody else struggle with just living now, today, in the present? I find it to be really hard, right? Whether it's hopes about tomorrow or fears about the future or regret about yesterday, 
it is really hard just to be here. I'm so concerned and consumed about things that I can't get out of my brain and my head that I can't just live for today. God gives us this encouragement to just live for today. This is it. This is what you get. <laughs> you get right now. You get today. That's what you get. That's God's gift to you. This is what we have to just be present in what he's given us today. So to live for yesterday, some of us, that's where we're stuck. We're stuck somewhere in the past. And it's not always bad. Sometimes it's the best. We're stuck in the past because that was the best, right? I've heard before that your house, generally speaking, how you decorate your home is how you decorated your home during the best years of your life. What would, what would your home decor say about you? Where are you stuck? What are you living for? Now, some of you ladies are like, ooh, that means I get to go to Hobby Lobby and change how I've decorated my house because Pastor Joe said I don't get stuck in the past, right? <laughs> Shameless plug for Hobby Lobby there, by the way. Living for yesterday is to be trapped in bitterness and regret. To live for tomorrow is to become a slave of fear and the unknown. Neither one of those things is exercising faith. So, man, that's a, that, I hope that's like the punch in the solar plexus for some of you this morning. Living in the past is not living in faith, and living in tomorrow is not living in faith. Neither one of those things is exercising faith. To make the most of my life today. Listen, you are not the sum total of all your experiences and everything that's happened to you. Amen? Gosh, please say amen. Somebody say amen to that one. You are not merely, as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, just the sum total of everything that's happened to you in your life. And we should all say amen for that. But those of us who live in the past, we think that's what's defining us, don't we? I am merely the result of everything that's happened to me. And I can't escape that because it's in my past. And so we just get stuck there. That's not faithfulness. To make the most of my life today, to hold, for God to hold me through the storms to the end. And here's the other thing for some of you, this gut punch. You are not the guarantor of your happiness. Amen? You're not the insurance company behind the, the thing at, at a... At a the furniture gallery where they're going to give you furniture at the end of the day, you're the one who's actually going to foot the bill for the happiness when the people win the, the Astros win the World Series and they give away millions of dollars of furniture to people. You're not the insurance company that holds the note for, that, for those, that furniture company. You are not in charge of your happiness. You are not the guarantor of your future becoming what you want it to become. Do you understand that? That's faith that I don't get wrapped up in what's happened. I'm not the sum total of everything that's happened, and I'm not the guarantor of what's going to come tomorrow. Neither one of those things is my responsibility. And if I get sucked into that, I'm living in yesterday or I'm living in tomorrow. Thank God. I mean this. I think we should all say this. Thank God I am living in the blessing of today, and I don't have to live my life like it's some kind of Groundhog Day, right? Right? Or we're not on some mission like the Avengers to undo everything up to this point and re-snap everything back the way that we want it. Or some kind of back to the future rerun or something, right? That that's not what God has called us to. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Thank God that I don't live in knowing the details about tomorrow because I'm telling you, man, listen, I told we have young couples, a lot of engaged couples in our church right now. Man, those of us who've been married a while, if you went back and somebody told you let me show you your calendar for the next 30 years in this marriage. Would you even step into it? No. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, we wouldn't step into that. Who wants that? It's hard. Life is difficult and painful. Thank God that he doesn't burden us with knowing about tomorrow. Right? That he gives us the manna and the grace for today. Don't boast and worry about tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow holds. There is grace in that. Thank God for the grace that he gives us today. To just the breath that you just took, what are you doing with it? The moments that you're going to have the rest of the day, listen, make the most of them. The gospel of foolishness says this, I hope that tomorrow will turn out like this or I'm just going to die. I hope that my future looks like this and if it doesn't, I'm just, my life's going to fall apart. The gospel of foolishness tells you that. 
trust or believe and wish and pray, and if everything turns out the way it's supposed to, life's going to be happy and you can praise the Lord. But if it doesn't, oh, woe is you. The gospel of foolishness says, man, I wish I could have had. I wish I would have done. And because I didn't, I just want to die. Foolishness leads us into not living for today. This is what you have been given. This is it today. This season of life that you're in. This is your shot at life. Where are you? What's life like for you today? You can't undo it, and you can't go forward and guarantee it's going to be any different. This is what God's given you. Now listen, you can pray. I'm not saying that you have to just be stuck in, in some hellacious awfulness or whatever. God can come in and he can radically change things. But in the meantime, you're here. You're breathing. You're walking around. This is your shot at living life. We're going to rest in God about our anxiety and our money and our sex lives and our marriage and our friendships. We're going to just rest in God. We're going to live life today and just rest. Amen? And just let Him be God in all of these areas. What are you doing with your new day today? Are you trapped in the foolishness of sin, self-determination, self-rule, regret of yesterday, fear of the future? Listen, J Jesus, man, he set his disciples down. He said, listen, guys, I've come to serve you. Remember that? He said, I came here to serve you. Are you better than me? Rhetorical question. Of course not. Then serve other people. I have, in he goes like, I have intentionally come and chosen the lowest people to serve. I think, I really do, I think at some point Jesus is like, just look around, guys. Look at you 11, you 12 guys. I came and chose the screw-ups and the misfits, right? I, changed the, I chose the guys that everybody else rejected. I chose you, not because you have it all together. I just want you. Man, I just want you. I chose you because I want you. And I came to serve you. And I've given you this breath, this life, this day. Go serve other people the way that I serve you. I think he would then say, and I want you to intentionally choose the lowest person in your room, the lowest person in your life, and serve them. What are you doing with your day today? Are you living for here and now, and you're spending everything <laughs> because you don't get to go back, or are you investing every day that you have in the things that God wants you, which is ultimately serving other people? How can you serve other people for God? Man, can't you just wake up every day? And I know some of us are in this awful pattern of just getting up and doing the thing again, and we're on the hamster wheel, and we're grinding and all that stuff. But can't you just get up and say, God, how could you use me today for your kingdom? I've got big choices to make. I've got little choices to make. I've got big people to deal with, or I've got little people to deal with. How can my choices, how can my work, how can my next breath just be used in your kingdom today? Show me that, God. I want my day today to be lived for you. Amen? The wise person understands that this is the day the Lord has made, and I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Next thing, take a step toward wisdom in how you use today. Next thing, verse 8. Like a bird that wanders from her nest, so is a man who wanders from his home. So the first thing is take a step toward wisdom in how you live and how you use today. The next thing is, I'm going to say how you can live your life on purpose. Take a step toward wisdom with how you live on purpose. We looked at wandering last week. Here it is again. It's all throughout uh, the Proverbs. It talks about people who wander. And I want to reiterate with you, this is not the person who accidentally wanders away, who goes, oops, I didn't mean to get here. The wanderer in Proverbs is the person who consistently chooses to walk away. It's not the accidental oops I didn't mean to. That's the whole problem. This is the problem with the fool. The fool actually believes he didn't do anything to get him into that situation. And they literally look around and go, well, how did that happen? Oops. I didn't mean, you hear that a lot from fools. I didn't mean to do that. And I think the constant 
constant encouragement we get really throughout Scripture. The testimony in Scripture is like, well, mean to. Intend to do something and do it. Now here in this text, and really throughout the, the book of Proverbs, when he talks about wandering, it's almost always in the context of wandering from home and wandering out of a marital situation into a non-marital relationship, an extramarital affair. It's almost always in that context. So what do we wander after? What are these things that, if we're going to take this literally, he's talking about your nest being your home. What, are, what is it that we wander after? Well, normally, it's another partner or another person or another man or another woman or the idea of what that person or other situation is promising you. What causes us to wander? I think, personally, I'm going I'm to list five things. I think these are some of the things that can cause us to wander from home. First of all, we have this unwavering, unfiltered, unevaluated trust in our own hearts. Talked about that last week. I trust my heart. I feel love toward this person. I don't feel love from this person. My heart would never lie to me. I trust my heart. I have an unfiltered, unwavering trust in my heart. That causes me to wander. Second thing, pain and disappointment. That causes us to wander. Not just pain from the person that we're in this relationship with. Pain in life causes us to wander. Disappointment in life causes us to look somewhere else. Third thing, boredom stemming from laziness. Boredom stemming from laziness. These relationships don't just take care of themselves, guys and girls. And when we don't do things intentionally to pour into them, we're going to get bored. And that boredom can cause us to look other places. Fourth thing, I don't know what to call this, so I just called it me-itis. It's a disease that we all have. Me-itis. Me. Me. You're not giving me. You're not telling me. You're not showing me. You're not doing enough for me. You're not making me. You're not helping me. Me, 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 me-itis. Jurassic Park, the first one, probably the only good one. Um, Dr. Ian Malcolm says this, one of the characters. He says, I am always shopping for the next Mrs. Malcolm. Me. 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 I'm always looking for the next person that's going to make me happy. I'm always looking for the next person, the next situation that's going to fill my needs. I'm always looking for the next thing that's going to fill me up. We see marriage, we see our spouse like this. It is transactionary. Most of us have a transactional view of this relationship. Most of our relationships in life, we see it like this. But it's like this. I will pour into this person, but I expect absolute fulfillment in return. And when this person doesn't fill me up, something in our marital contract says I can get out. There is some asterisk somewhere on some piece of paper that I signed that said, when this person no longer absolutely completes me and fills me up, I can get out. I am looking for this person to make me happy. I am in this because they will deliver happiness to me, and when they don't, I'm out. Now, that may sound harsh. I can't tell you how many times over 28 years of ministry I have heard these words pop out of people's mouths. This is where you go guys, to give yourselves permission to get out. And it starts with, I'm in this because I get something out of it, primarily. It betrays what my ultimate object of worship is, which is me. And I will bend my life to worship the thing that I value the most, right? That will cause me to worship, or to, to wander, me-itis, Fifth thing, and I talked about it a second ago, but I would just hammer it again with the language here. Neglected fields of joy and fulfillment in your own nest. He uses the, the imagery of a nest here, right? Nests don't just happen, <laughs> you know? You don't show up and there's this intricate nest that somebody built. There is a lot of work put into that. Like, I don't know what birds do all day other than something on my car, you know? But I'm assuming that they're building a nest and eating something at some point, right? I don't know what else they are doing. They're building a nest. They're putting their livelihood into their lives and their little birdie family and stuff, right? 
Those things don't just happen. So I have to see this, this life that I have with my wife as we, not me. I have to change. Wisdom says I have to change how I see this, that I'm going to invest in them for their best. And as I do that, good things come back to me. I have to see this. We are in this together. Anything less than that will set the stage for wandering. If both of us together don't come into this, I'm investing in you for the long haul. I'm investing in you for your best. If we don't both come with that idea, it's going to set the stage for wandering. It also, I think, speaks to how we see God, our theology about God. Is marriage God's to implement and regulate as he sees it? Does marriage ultimately belong to God? And is it his to tell us how to do it? If so, that changes how we have to do it. You have to daily give yourself to your spouse. You have to refrain from being a me worshiper. You have to hold your family in the highest esteem and one of your highest values. And you have to worship Christ in how you work and building your nest. That's an act of worship how you nurture your home, how you build the nest at home with your spouse. You can worship God like that. So if we want to spiritualize it and say, well, that was too hard. Let's talk about our spiritual home. I'm good with that too. What are you doing to build and nurture and prepare your spiritual home? What is my spiritual home? Well, if you can't answer that, I don't know if I can help you. <laughs> you you got to know what that is. Where are you being fed? And, and maybe it's this place, but maybe it's not this place primarily. I think this should be part of it, a big part of it. What are you doing to build into your spiritual life? That also doesn't just happen. What are you doing to build into the spiritual home that you have to prepare it for what's coming? To make it warm and inviting and hospitable to other people. What are you doing in your spiritual walk? in your spiritual home. It's easy to wander in both of these places. So live on purpose. Do what you're doing on purpose. Take a step toward wisdom by living on purpose. I would also say this. We're not going to read them. Verses 23 through 27 talk about being corrected. And when we fail, having people speak into us correction and how we respond to that. So here's what I would say. Live on purpose. Choose a God-honoring direction and just go. Did you get that? Choose a God-honoring direction and go. And live for his glory. Make the most of today. And then the next thing I'm going to tell you is fail spectacularly. Right? Man, guys, listen, if you just got a little bit of tread on the tires, wouldn't we say that failure has been a huge part of who we are now and where we are at now? Amen? Fail spectacularly, right? Fail in faith. God, I'm going to live this way. This is what I think you're telling me to do, and I'm going to walk this path, and if I just totally royally mess it up and it's not what you want, teach me everything you're supposed to teach me, and then I'll choose the next thing that I think you're telling me to do. That's called grace, man, right? Trying to discern God's will in the tea leaves and doing everything exactly the way God wants me to, that's pagan. Stepping out in tomorrow and saying, I have no idea, but I'm going to live this way because God said to, and I'm going to trust him for the results, that's biblical faith fail spectacularly, but fail up. Right? Don't fail down. Don't fail in a plateau. Fail up. Learn. That's wisdom. Learn from your failures. Learn from overestimating yourself. Learn from underestimating other people. Learn from making poor decisions. Learn. It's part of growing up, part of maturing, part of living on purpose, I believe is that failure and failure, failing amazingly, but also failing up. So take a step toward wisdom by living on purpose. Verse 9 and verse 11. We read it, oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Verse 11, be wise, my son, and make my heart glad that I may reply to him who reproaches me. Take a little step toward wisdom and how you're gaining wisdom. What are you doing right now to gain wisdom? You thought about that? What am I doing? Not to get smarter, not to get more information, to gain wisdom. What am I intentionally doing to not be a fool? Because your default position is not wisdom, it's foolishness. 
So what am I doing on purpose to gain wisdom? How would we define wisdom? We've had several uh, ways to understand that. Today, I would say it's following God's principles for life to be successful in relationships and your responsibilities. That's wisdom. Another way to understand it. It's a completely overhauled way of thinking and believing and behaving. Completely overhauled way of thinking, believing, and behaving. And by the way, I put those three things in that order on purpose because I think that's the order in which they go. Okay? What are you doing to intentionally gain wisdom? So this is somewhat rhetorical, but a lot of you have pens or your phones or whatever, and I want you to do this for me real quick, if you wouldn't mind. Who are the five, we'll say five, most prominent opinion leaders in your life right now? If you had to, to write down a list and say, here are the people, the five people, or even organizations, but generally it's people, who are shaping my opinions. Who is it? Who are your five most important opinion leaders? Now, you can say Jesus if it's legit, but don't if it's not. The five people who are the most influential in how you think. I want you to write those things down, those people down. Now, here are, in, in our culture today, and some of us probably aren't aware of these, there are people who are, I think it's a job, they're influencers, right? And they, use so, they get paid a lot of money to be social media influencers. They literally have no talent. For the most part, right, they're good in front of a camera, and they're kind of pithy and quick with their words, and they look good, and so they get to influence what the rest of us think and do. So there's this whole culture that's grown up, and they're massively influential. They're not kind of, oh, yeah, that's something the kids do. No, they're massively influential, man. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Here's what I would say about your opinion leaders, your personal ones. You have them, whether you're acknowledging them or not. The fool says, nobody informs my opinions. I make up my own mind. You're stupid if you just said that. You're a fool. Somebody's influencing you. Either ignorantly, you kind of tripped into their influence, or on purpose, you're putting them in so that you can learn something from them, right? But we all have these people, so who is it for you? And what wisdom are they speaking into you? I'm going to give you the five most influential people in 2019 so far in the world that are, that are called social media influencers. They're, they're opinion leaders, opinion influencers, okay? Now, this is taking their Instagram followers, their YouTube uh, views, every kind of social media you can think and combining them all together. Anybody heard of PewDiePie? No. Golly, man. PewDiePie. His real name is Feliz Kjellberg. He's a Swedish guy. 112 million users. That's not hits. That's people who are actively following him. 112 million. Okay? Some Swedish dropout. If you go look where he came from, it's fascinating and depressing that we're listening to him. Okay? Here's the second one. He's the most influential. Next one, Winderson Nunez. Anybody heard of that? 77 million followers. Here we go. You ready? Dude Perfect. 66 million. All right? Some of us know who Dude Perfect is. Christian guys, it's kind of awesome. They're goofy and it's fun. That's the next one. 66 million. A uh, guy named, uh, this one I hadn't heard of. I heard of the first two. Rubius Ruben Gunderson. They should all go by their real names and nobody would listen to them. Ruben Gunderson, right? 61 million hits. Logan Paul, 56 million hits. Millions, millions and millions and millions of followers are looking at these people saying, tell me what to believe. Tell me how to live life. Tell me what's cool. Tell me what makes me authentic. Tell me what I should look like and do and speak like so that I can be in and known and all that kind of thing. All these people are directing and influencing us. I'm not sure some of us would... Again, we, 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 there's a lot of us in here. We may not be able to list our most influential opinion makers, opinion leaders in our lives. We're just kind of wandering around. And we're sad about yesterday. We're hoping that tomorrow's a better day. Even though we actually have opinion leaders, some of us don't know who they are. I would say this. I think this is great. John Piper says this. He defines the gathering of wisdom as factual knowledge along with situational insight along with the necessary resolve to do it. Did I list those things? I don't know if I listed them. Say them again. Factual knowledge, situational insight, and the necessary resolve to do it. That that's wisdom. 
factual knowledge, there's some scripture verses, Romans 12 and 15, situational insight. So that goes beyond I know things to I kind of read the room and I see what's happening here and I understand the dynamics that are at play. Situational insight, necessary resolve. Once you understand things and you see how they're playing out, you have to have the courage to do something, right? Now, I'm going to throw in there at the bottom. <laughs> the next one for me would be a relational confidence. I've got to really believe that God is with me all the time. I have to absolutely believe that I am his child and he cannot and will not reject me. He will love me no matter what. That's wisdom. That gives me that courage. I think that's the underlying thing under the courage to go and do and be what he says to. So how are you pursuing wisdom? Of your five influencers that you wrote down earlier, maybe you look back and go, I don't know if any of these people are worth listening to, but I am, right? So how are you gaining wisdom, knowledge, insight, resolve in that relationship? We're going to read these verses and we'll be done. Verse 22. He says, Though you pound a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. So we've already established we're all fools. Now we're being told that even if I were to take you and put you in a giant bowl and smash you with a rock, <laughs> you still wouldn't change. You would hold on to your foolishness. That's how committed to this we are, man, right? We are absolutely committed to our foolishness, and this is actually a little depressing. I read this verse, and I'm like, oh my gosh, am I stuck in this position? I'm stuck in my foolishness? If you are prideful, you always will be. Those of you who've been fighting this entire morning, and you're like, he is obviously speaking, there are some dumb people in here, man. He is talking about somebody else. In your pride, you can get stuck in your foolishness. You can get dug in, and you can get offended, and you can have your ego be bruised and run away from wisdom. Humility is your first step. You have to kind of come in and say, okay, God, what are you saying to me? I've got some foolishness in my heart. This verse tells us this. The problem with a fool is that he's a fool. The problem with a fool is that he is absolutely convinced he's not foolish. The problem isn't that until our heart is changed, until God gives us a new heart, there's nothing you can do to move a fool away from foolishness. Some of us are absolutely convinced that foolishness is a matter of education or environment. If I tell you enough information, you will no longer be foolish. If I give you enough stuff, you will no longer be foolish. Ergo, the richest people among us and the most educated people among us should be the wisest. Did anybody read about Jeffrey Epstein besides me? Obviously, that's not true. So we can't say, no one would say, when you do a little bit of psychology theory in life and watch people, nobody's going to say that foolishness is a result of education or environment. Scripture's going to say foolishness is a heart condition. Something has to come in and change us. No matter what I do to a fool physically, he will hold on to his natural state of self-centered foolishness. It is our identity in many ways. Even though it's broken and foolish, that's who we are. And we hold on to it. Because we misunderstand our problem, we will also misunderstand the gospel of grace. Some of us in this room came to church this morning quasi-depressed when we walked in because we, knew what, we know what fools we are. We look back at the last week and we're like, golly, man, I really messed up. I said some of the dumbest stuff. I thought some of the silliest things. I said some of the, the worst words. I am, I am such a fool. I can't wait to go to church and have Pastor Joe beat me up for 30 minutes. Then I won't be foolish anymore and I'll feel better because I did some penance. We are legalists at heart and we want, we kind of show up for our daily crushing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Thank you, Lord, may I have another kind of a deal, right? And we show up like, Lord, just beat it out of me right? Just crush me under the weight of my foolishness, get rid of it, retrain me, show me a new way to go, and I'll work harder, and I'll do it. God, I am a fool. If you crush me, I promise I'll be better today. That's legalism, is it not? That's still meism. That's still me counting on myself to make myself better. There's no gospel there. There's really no hope there, certainly no grace there. We need the daily gospel. 
the gospel of grace. The fool says there is no God. Grace says Jesus is God. The fool says I'm not foolish. They are. Grace says they're not the problem. You are. The fool says my way leads to life. Grace says Jesus is life. The fool says that I can trust myself. Grace says trust in Jesus. The fool says I can change myself. The gospel says you are broken by sin, but Jesus can recreate you. I need the daily gospel for my foolishness. Or I will start to believe I can change myself. God can't help me. I'm not the problem. My way is best. See what I'm saying? The gospel comes in and hits all those things head on. And there's grace for you, amen? There's grace, and it's in Jesus Christ. And I daily need to be reminded of that. So take a little step toward wisdom by trusting daily in God's grace. Verse 19, and we'll be done. Interesting little proverb here. He says, as water, in, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. It's a weird little verse there, but not too hard to understand. A still pool of water, and you look at it, what do you see? Your face, right? You see yourself. So here's my question at the end of our day today, as we thought about taking a step toward wisdom, who do you look like? Do you look like a fool? Do you look like the world? Do you look like your mom? Do you look like your dad? Do you look like your friends? Do you look like your social media influencers? Who do you look like? I hope this is true story. I know the first part of it is, but I'm not sure about the last part, but I hope it is, right? Maybe Texas legend. James Butler Bonham. Anybody heard of James Butler Bonham? Texas nerds? There we go. We're going to have our meeting after church, okay? James Butler Bonham died at the Alamo. One of the youngest guys that died at the Alamo, actually. I think he was 29. There's a statue of him in a town in far north Texas, Bonham, Texas, in Fannin County. Anybody ever been there? All right, here we go. So there, you guys pass it on the way up to Oklahoma probably, yeah. So there's Bonham, Texas. There's a statue of this guy by the courthouse in the middle of it. Here's the problem with this statue of Bonham. Who posed for it? Like, on, what did they model this enormous granite sculpture of a man after in the middle of this town that we then named the na a town after him? Nobody has a picture of him. There's no extant portrait of him, painting of him. We have no record of what he looked like. So how do they make this giant sculpture of a man that nobody saw? Now in Austin, here's where I don't, this is my Texas legend for the, for the day. In Austin, it's rumored that there's a picture of a man named James Butler Bonham. But in reality, there's a plaque at the bottom of the picture and it says this, James Butler Bonham, no picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died for our freedom. Will you reflect the foolishness of these times or are you going to reflect the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ? They're not going to see Jesus, but they'll see you. Are you reflecting the wisdom of God in Jesus? Are you reflecting the foolishness of meitis and the foolishness of the world that we live in? Take a step toward wisdom this morning by living so that you look like Jesus. You guys bow your heads. Cry out to Jesus this morning. Some of you are like, man, Pastor Joe, this all sounds so good, but I'm so far away. I need a new heart. That new heart you're talking about, I need it. I can't change myself. I can't be good enough. I can't undo my foolishness. What do I do? Right now, you call out to God and you say, God, give me a new heart. Save me from my sin. Save me from my foolishness. I believe in Jesus Christ. I place my trust in him. My faith is in Jesus to change me. I can't change me. Take away my sin. Talk to him. He's hearing you right now. But ask him for that new heart in Jesus. He'll, say, he'll hear it. He'll do it. He'll save you. And those of us that are believers, we're trying to follow Christ and we've got that foolishness in our heart somewhere. Could you just take a little step toward Jesus this morning, toward wisdom? Nobody looking around, just this, a little act of faith, but I'm going to walk through our steps. And if this is you and you say, I think 
God, I can take this step today. Just pop your hand up and just have it be your prayer. Can you take a step toward wisdom in how you use today? Just today, not tomorrow, not yesterday, just today. I want to I live better today. God, I'm going to step toward you in wisdom by being just sold out to you today. Can you take a step toward wisdom by living on purpose? You don't really, you're not living on purpose, you're just kind of wandering around. And you get into a lot of trouble, and your first response is, oops, I didn't mean to, but maybe you need to mean to do something. How many of you can say, I want to live on purpose? I can take a step toward wisdom by living on purpose. Fail spectacularly, friends. Keep your hands up. Screw up big time, man. There's grace there. But live for today and let the Lord pick up pieces with you along the way, man. That's grace. Next thing, I want to take a step toward wisdom by intentionally trying to gain wisdom. Like, I don't have a plan right now, but I want a plan. I want to get wiser. I want to hang around wise people. I want God's wisdom. And I'm going to get a plan. My, my hand's going up because I'm saying, I'm going to get a plan to gain wisdom. I understand it doesn't just happen. I've got to build my nest. Next thing. I'm going to take a step toward wisdom by just reminding myself of the gospel that I can't do it. Jesus has to do this in me. I'm going to work hard, but I'm not going to trust in my work. And I need to remind myself, Jesus, you're doing something new in me. You're changing me today. I'm not who I was yesterday. I'm not who I'm going to be tomorrow. You're changing me, God. I'm trusting in the gospel to make me wise. Remind yourself of the grace of God. And then the last one, I'm going to take a step toward wisdom by living like Jesus because I want people to see him in me. The wisest person, the wisdom of Solomon lives in my heart and I want to look like him. I want to reflect his face to other people. God, these are our prayers this morning. This is what you've shown us in your word. God, I pray that none of us would be so foolish to look at ourselves in the word and walk away unchanged. Show us where we're short. Show us where we need you, God, and change us. Just little steps, baby steps toward you. But God, we want to take a step today. Save anyone that needs you this morning to give them a new heart. In your name we pray, amen. That's awesome. I love going through the Proverbs with you guys, man. Um, we're going to take up our offering, a couple of notes about this. If you're a member here, give, and give faithfully, right? It's summer's over-ish, um, pretty much, and we got a little behind. We've done a lot of great ministry. Let's just all begin to kind of catch up a little bit. I want to tell you, I don't know if, if I said something last week, um, we uh, sponsor kids in Uganda, and our team went to Uganda, and they took your gifts. Some of us gave a little extra gift. And I wish I had, I don't think I had a picture this week, but there's a picture Pastor James sent us of these kids in this orange, red clay around these, you know, cruddy huts, and they're carrying mattresses that can't be three inches thick, right? Different colors, and they're so excited. And there's kids there that are 14, 15, 16 years old, and Pastor James wrote and said, they're so excited because this is the first mattress most of them have owned. And as you have given here, you've enabled us to do stuff like give children their first mattress. And we've given them mosquito nets. You feed them a meal every day. This is the other thing he told me. He said, Pastor Joe, I want you to know that as your people sponsor their kids, some of those kids get lunch, right? This, which is effectively, I call it gruel. It's like oatmeal, right? And they get this oatmeal, and the kids that aren't sponsored... The boys that are sponsored, the girls that are sponsors, take their food and share it with those that aren't sponsored. And every time you give, you're not just ministering to those kids you're sponsoring, they're ministering to people kind of in your name, right? With what you've equipped them to do. So give, man. That allows us to do all these awesome, amazing things. So just keep being faithful to give. As you're thinking about giving, I want to put this in your head. Um, we've prayed, we've been faithful to walk with the Martinez family, uh, Felix and Megan, and I, I point here because they usually sit here when they're with us, but uh, Megan passed away this week. 12-year um, battle with, with brain cancer. Um, she lives behind Alex and Isabel. I think they're 15 and 12, maybe. Um, wonderful, sweet, beautiful family. Felix is amazing. Um, man, we've got an opportunity to step up and be Jesus right now, okay? So here's what I'm asking you to do. They need some help with the funeral costs. We want to step in and do that. Um, you can give to what we, we have a family emergency fund. And if you're going to give to this, that's what I need you to do. Family emergency fund. You can give online. You can put a check, whatever the Lord leads you to do. You can drop it in the boxes on the way out if you want to. 
that's going to go to help us help them just to do their funeral. Her funeral is this Saturday at 11 o'clock at a church in Quail Valley. Freedom Alliance Center or something like that? I forget. Um, but it's in, it's, it's 11 o'clock Saturday. We're going to celebrate Megan. They're not calling it a funeral. They're calling it a life celebration. We're going to celebrate Megan's life and her faith in Jesus. So we know where she's at. And she's beautiful and restored and all that. Healed. Amen. She's healed. We trust that. Um, the other thing we're going to do we're going to set this in motion in about three weeks. She has a huge family. They've all been here loving on the kids and, and Felix. That tends to go away. Three, four weeks afterwards, you're doing life. Um, we want to step in hard for this family. So I'm suggesting that as a church family, we can provide meals for them for the rest of the year. I don't think that's crazy. I think it's amazing. So I think three meals a week, we can step in and do that. Now you're like, dude, I can't even cook. What can I do? Gift cards? Absolutely, we'll do gift cards, okay? So we're going to start a, a meal train sign-up that's going to take us effectively from September through December. And we're just going to shower this family with love. That's what we're supposed to do. Amen? It's a hard day for this family. It's been a hard week. And it's hard people. We love these people. And these people, their friends are here this morning. We want to love them really well. Man, if we can't step up now, what are we doing, guys? You know? So let's step up. So be on the lookout for a meal train. Give generously. Jared. Thanks, man.